In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Let's start with a prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Fatima, pray for us. Today is the Feast of Corpus Christi in America, being held on a Sunday. Have you ever watched on the, it's a peculiar thing, that the Soviets and that China, at least Maoist China, China, Communist China, they have these big, 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 big marches and parades. And then you'll see them going through the Kremlin and these old guys with military medals just covering almost every square inch of their body, ribbons and tanks. And the show of might, the show of all of the forces of that state mustered up together. It's what militaries do. The Romans would do this. After a a long uh, conquer, they would have a, a march, a parade of the conquering force before Caesar with all of the spoils brought back, all of the gifts, and then the conquered peoples would be in, in, in procession before so that the people back home paying the taxes could see, look, we're expanding the empire, here's the riches of the empire, and that the subjects could see their new leader. They could see Caesar exalted above all others. Or in the Chinese, they could see the chairman. In Russia... They could see the chairman or prime minister. The idea is there's always a guy. For us Catholics, our guy is our Lord Jesus Christ, who has conquered death, risen from the dead, and as he told Pilate, his father has given him the kingdom. You know it, you sing those words, you probably... You know, it's those things, sometimes they just kind of slip past you as you're saying them. I'm not going to sing it. You know the words. Holy God, we praise thy name. Lord of all, we bow before thee. All on earth thy scepter claim. All in heaven above adore thee. If communist leaders get parades, if Caesar got a parade, don't you think our Lord deserves a parade? We're church militant after all, aren't we? We are his army. And us who have become the spoils of his war, we get to march in the parade, don't we? Don't you want to show whose side you're on? You know, and I like those parades. You know, I don't want to be in a communist state. Obviously not, but I, I think... That would probably be one of the more fun things for me is I like seeing all that stuff. I like, you know, they bring the big planes and the, you know, the planes fly overhead. They break, get the big tanks out. You get to see all this stuff you never see. I, I mean, that's what church has got, right? Mother Church has us, the soldiers, but what are our weapons? We've got the rosaries. We've got grace. From heaven, we have the sacraments. Among those, we have our Lord Himself in the Blessed Sacrament. 
Isn't it something that 12, uh, the late 12th century, beginning of the 13th century? Was it young? Mm, young orphan who from the age of five, her little sister, was, Agnes, was also with her. Name was Juliana of Liege. I might be saying that name wrong, you know. I don't I kind of fail on the uh, on the Belgian. I don't understand how is it French or is it German? I don't understand Belgium, but at any rate, she's a saint. She eventually she was an orphan, but she had a longing, and she cast herself in her cares to our Lord, who began to reward her. She became a nun. She began to have visions, visions of the church. And she, one of these visions, she saw the church under a full moon, but it had a big dark spot. She believed that dark spot represented the lack of a parade for our Lord, a procession, an honor, a feast day, commemorating our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament as our conqueror and ruler. Later, she'd have another vision of our Lord who came to her and helped, told her, plead for this, ask for it. You know, it took her 20 years. So for 20 years, she kept asking. But it's the way God does things that just kind of, we don't see how the conquering works, but it's quite, 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 quite brilliant plan our Lord had to make these things come about. For though they're right in her town, the archdeacon, the bishop would eventually grant her request, make a feast, offer indulge it for those who would receive communion and confess their sins during that time. And some of the reasoning at that point was that the way Holy Week worked out, we commemorate the apostles and the priesthood and all the other things that happened on Holy Thursday and the, our Lord's presence in the Blessed Sacrament was kind of crowded out by all these other things we commemorate. And it was right to make just that aspect because of how important it is to us highlighted. Well, the feast went for a while and it was set for the Thursday after Trinity Sunday on a Thursday. Time went by, and the Archdeacon of Liege had come back, saw that it had not been, that the feast was kind of not, uh, not being celebrated. And then, I can't, I can't even begin to try this name, I, Hugh of St. Cher, I guess it was. He was the Cardinal Legate. Finding the feast had not been observed, he reinstated it the following year in 1252. He established the feast for the entire jurisdiction, which is Germany, Dacia, Bohemia, Moravia. It was to be celebrated on the Thursday of Octave of uh, uh, Trinity, which is this was this past week, and it had an octave with it. And the indulgence again for all who confessed their sins and attended church on a date and in a place where the feast was celebrated during the octave, you'd get an indulgence. Can't beat that. Time goes on. 
and the Archdeacon of Liege becomes Pope Urban the Fourth. And in twelve sixty four, twelve years later, he writes the bull Transitoris de Hoc Mundo, instituting the solemnity of Corpus Christi for the entire church. Bingo. Since then, the Feast of Corpus Christi has survived in the mid-20th century. I might get the date a little bit wrong. I didn't make notes on this. I think it was around, it was Pius XII that wiped out all of the uh, octaves, and I think it was sometime in the 60s. And so what had happened uh, for a short span of time from, I think it was from 60, uh, let me look at my notes here. There was a short span of time where the octaves were gone, but this feast survived. And then it was uh, Pius V, even Pius V, when he cleaned up the calendar during his time, cleaned out all these other uh, feasts that were there, but left Corpus Christi. We look, decrees of the Council of Trent, why? Why is this important? Popes that were otherwise cleaning things up would leave it there. That this thing was, this feast, this parade, this military march, this show of might. We're bringing out the big guns. This is our Lord gets to walk out, out into the world from the church. An article on Bellarmine Forum from three years ago, and uh, I lifted these uh important things about uh, processions out of the old catechism explain gives a point that the, the procession begins from the church, goes out into the world and comes back to the church for the, it's, this is old school uh, ecumenism or, or catechizing the public. It was to let people know it was a reminder. Your key to heaven is this church. It's the one church from our Lord. And if you're going to get there, you go back there. And through there, you'll get to the heavenly things. It's also instructive how processions were put together. The children come first. It's part of the gospel message that our Lord told us that unless we become like the children, we won't make it to heaven. So even processions remind people that we must become like children, and they are first in the eyes. And then another gospel message that's in it is that we, our Lord sent out the disciples two by two, didn't he? In processions, they're usually two by two. And sometimes, I guess, in the big streets or grander ones, you know, cathedrals always have to mess up uh, liturgies. You'll see some, like the ones from Poland, you'll see they're six wide, and you see soldiers, and there's eight wide, but they're filling the street up. Within the church, they're always two by two. Just as our Lord had told us, go out, take somebody with you, and, and work together in the world. So the procession is. Corpus Christi procession, of course, is our Lord himself in the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance. It's one of the only times that it's appropriate to take our Lord Without the, without the permission of the bishop. This can happen anywhere. And it's because of this bull from Urban IV saying, no, 
You can do this. Take our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament out to the world. It's kind of good for the emperor to see the plebs, for our Lord to come in out of the church, out into the world, for people to see who it is in that monstrance. Maybe they would be touched by grace to come back to him. And that's the last point the catechism explained, made of processions. They're to show the non-believers, to beg down grace that something about them would, about the processions, would call the non-believers back to church or make them curious enough to see it. It's a manifestation of our faith, of our belief, that that's not bread, but rather through the action of Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, in the institution of the Blessed Sacrament, and through the sacrifice of Holy Mass, becomes him, himself, truly, physically present in the Blessed Sacrament. Trent gave us a canon. They say, you know, that it, 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 it's amazing sometimes. And it's no surprise to me that modernists attack Trent because in Trent you find such crystalline statements of the faith that anticipate what modernists and progressives today would say. But it's a little bit long. I'm going to do this in chunks. You know how these canons from the Council of Trent read. He said, I'm going to read it in English. I won't read it in Latin. You know, taken off the side, isn't it something that uh, recently the Pope's delegate to lead to the, the Knights of Malta t- tells us, uh, we're not going to do the extraordinary Latin Mass anymore. At the same time, the Vatican's announcing, we're going to have the news in Latin. I don't know if I was supposed to be excited about that. It seems to me like what the Vatican's telling me is, hey, you can have your Latin, but you just can't have it in mass. As a matter of fact, we're going to give it to you. You can have your Latin in the news. Apart from Dijak and some Latin professors, nobody's going to listen to that news in Latin. No, 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 before everybody gets, you know, a little bit reactive to that. Yeah, I get it. It's good. It's the it's the official language of the church, and if they're using it in places outside the liturgy, it, it, it encourages people to be up in Latin. I get it. But don't get rid of the Latin Mass. Don't tell me I can't have traditions. Don't tell me that these things aren't important. That's what the Pope had said two days prior, he likened traditionalists to bitterly clinging to the ashes of the past. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't find traditions like Corpus Christi with the living God present in the Blessed Sacrament an ash. It's not burned. Nothing has been burned of Orthodox tradition. It grows, it's vibrant, it's living, it's handed down the gospel today and today's Sunday was St. Paul reminding us that as our Lord gave it to them, so they would give it to us. The apostolic tradition of the church passes to us the living God, present in the most blessed sacrament, marching through the streets in a triumphant parade. Someday the, tri- the trumpets will, the angels with the trumpets in all of time will stop. 
And our Lord told us what that day is going to be like. There won't be any tanks big enough in the world to compare to his power and might. There won't be any nuclear blasts that compare to the brilliance and the sheer power that will be manifested on that day. When our Lord reveals himself in a way that doesn't hide his glory, that doesn't hide his infinite power, that doesn't hide his infinite wisdom, that doesn't hide his infinite love for each of us. It's that last part, I think, that sinners will have the hardest time with. Because that love is there now. But it's a mercy of God that he shrouds it behind bread and behind things that won't push us away on their own. Every time an angel appears in the gospel, all of a sudden everybody's on the ground. Our Lord is transfigured and everybody falls to the ground. Our Lord just mentions the truth about himself in the garden. He says, I am, and the soldiers fall to the ground. And that's just him not in glory. Processions like Corpus Christi today prepare us for that day. Us who want to follow our Lord, who want to be proudly marching in his army, who want to be there glorifying him who conquered death for us, we want to do that. Trent, though, sees these days upon us when people won't understand or will attack this great gift of the blessed sacrament. The canon reads, If anyone shall say that in the holy sacrament of the Eucharist, Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is not to be adored with even the external of Latria. You get what's going on there. If somebody says you shouldn't worship the blessed sacrament, that's what that says. So they're talking about the blessed sacrament, and they're saying that that's our Lord, and if somebody says that's not Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the same one there. And if these people, I'll read it uh, verbatim for a moment. And as consequently, neither to be venerated with a special festive celebration, nor to be solemnly borne about in processions. Hmm. Think of that. Council's telling us, hey, look, yeah, you're supposed to venerate. You're supposed to have special festive celebrations in these processions. According to the laudable and universal right and custom of the Holy Church. So if somebody's saying, oh, you're putting a little too much attention on that wafer. Or what is some of the, you know... I feel really bad for some of these people in the church that I've met through the years because it's persisting today. But there's people in the Am Church that take the word Eucharist and begin to turn it into something it's not. First of all, the Blessed Sacrament is not only the Eucharist. The Greek word Eucharist, which means thanks, thanksgiving, or thank you, depending on how it's used, does not limit 
the character of the Blessed Sacrament. Rather, the Eucharist is a reference to the Blessed Sacrament. It is a word that now refers to the Blessed Sacrament. People turn that around and they like to say, the Eucharist is a verb, it's not a thing. See what they're doing? They're coming around the backyard and trying to take out the, the, the meaning of the Blessed Sacrament as the real presence by turning it into a verb. I guess we're supposed to be actioned or we're supposed to do things like that. Or that somehow our worship of the Blessed Sacrament is something different than our Lord. So I proudly watched today the monstrance and marched behind our Lord and sang, Holy God, as loud as I could. This, of course, after Tontamurgo, which had the choir sang the traditional arrangement of it instead of trying to go all Palestrina on. I could have belted out much louder than I did. I'm of the feeling that when we're in heaven, those crystal walls are going to shake with the volume of praises to our Lord. And that we ought to try to do that if church is the beginning of heaven here, where our Lord comes on the altar, where it's all brought together, and the angels rush in to be at the sacrifice of Mass. We ought to be doing that now. So at any rate, people think that Treating the Blessed Sacrament that way somehow takes away from the worship of God. Right off the bat, you know, people that are worried about that have a different concept of God than what our Lord has revealed of himself. Our Lord Jesus Christ instituted the Blessed Sacrament. He is the head of the church. That's him in the Blessed Sacrament. Besides getting down on both knees... Besides kneeling to receive him, what are we, how can we make an idol out of that? These people claim that we make an idol on Twitter. Pray for this poor priest. I saw this the other day, actually, on, on, on the real day of Corpus Christi, this past Thursday. Uh, you know, again, the USCCB feels that Americans shouldn't have to worship God on any day other than Sunday, so they move Corpus Christi here. Um, I don't know why. doesn't make any sense. I mean, I'm sure, you know, they always like to say, well, people have to go to work. Well, I don't know. I see the traffic, and I see what things are like, and I'm pretty sure people know how to take a day off or do things. Or if it was like it is in Europe or in Poland, employers would be giving their employees the day off to go do this anyway because the employer himself would be there, right? In other words, had the bishops not opened the door to acceding to the world, the world would still accommodate us, right? That's what I think. But instead, they've decided that we're just going to give it all up. Sometimes it makes me wonder if the conference of bishops, who they are, they Eucharisting or whatever that verb is that those people that I don't know what they're doing. But sometimes I want, I wish they'd be more Catholic. I wish they would see that that's our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. 
And that feast days like this, apart from Sunday, are important. Are an important reminder to people that God's God every day of the week. And at this feast, this feast that has survived several, uh, through, the, through the centuries, has survived almost every reorientation of the, of the Roman calendar, has survived even Pius XII, stripping all these feast days out and all the octaves out. But it, 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 this shouldn't be toyed with. Of course, they toy with Ascension Thursday, too, and that's mathematically set in stone. 40 days, not 43. So I don't know why I'm complaining about Corpus Christi getting moved because they'll move bigger things. So why wouldn't they move this? But this priest on Twitter, I I, I thought this was incredible. He's saying, I'm going to read it. So I know by definition this can't be the case, but does anyone else feel that we make an idol out of the Eucharist sometimes? Okay, so let's get one thing straight. The priest is already acknowledging he knows what the teaching is. But he's struggling with this concept. And I feel bad for priests because I see the pressures they get from idiots in the pew, the busybodies. I mean, one of the biggest things we ought to do is get rid of the so-called extraordinary ministers. Because what does that do to a priest? The priest's hands are consecrated by a bishop. They can do things that even the angels can't. They can confect the blessed sacrament and make what looks like bread into the blessed real presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So this priest is saying, "He look, I know by definition this can't be an idol. So he's already saying, look, I know from teaching this is the real presence of our Lord, right? But he's saying, or, you know, I, I'm wondering, okay, where's he coming from? What, can we make an idol out of our... Um, and he's saying, like, when it becomes all about the sacred object and not about Jesus himself, disconnected from becoming a new person in community. Okay, the train's now off the tracks there. I'm not sure how you can disconnect the Blessed Sacrament from Jesus himself, and I'm not sure what becoming a new person in community has to do with the Blessed Sacrament, really. So I'm sure there's some private vocabulary, some other things going on there, but I was just surprised at first that going back to the Council of Trent here, remember we're in the middle of the anathema here. So the canon says, I'll start from the beginning because now we're getting to the point. If anyone shall say that in the holy sacrament of the Eucharist, Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is not to be adored with even the external worship of Latria, and is, consequently, neither to be venerated with special festive celebration, nor to be solemnly borne about in processions according to the laudable and universal rite and custom of the Holy Church, hint, hint, Corpus Christi, or is not to be proposed publicly to the people to be worshipped, and that the worshippers thereof are idolaters. In other words, if a man says we should hide the Blessed Sacrament and that these people are idolaters, you know the punchline of the canons of the Council of Trent. Let him be anathema. Hmm. 
people interpret it, what that anathema means. They think that these people are going to go out and do things to them. No, it's better than that. It's basically the church is pointing out, look, here's a bottomless pit in the re- a rapid a rapid way to hell. This is a trap door in our world. If you do this, uh, boom, you're going to the inferno. And it's not the church that's pushing you in there. It's just that that's what it is. And that's what our, so I'm not sure why a priest who's aware of these definitions, who's aware of these things, would engage in this type of curiosity publicly. It's a trap. Separating through some concept the mystery of the Blessed Sacrament that we know it's our Lord there present to us. He said it to us with his... I mean, I don't know, even the worst seminaries would at least go through the Gospel of John in chapter 6, and you read, these priests read it in the Gospel. Our Lord repeats himself three times. That's how important it is. Fulton Sheen has great stuff on that. Father Harden brings that up. Three times our Lord. Why? Because our Lord knows it's hard to believe. What do you mean this bread is your body? You know, the confusion. Nicodemus had this kind of confusion over things too. And our Lord was was very merciful and kind to help. Nicodemus comes to our Lord and says, when you say we need to be reborn, and our Lord knows already because in his in in Nicodemus's mind he's he's applying the things of nature and natural law in observance of how God made creation. And so Nicodemus is trying to understand what our Lord means by a rebirth. Does that mean I have to come back out of a womb again? And the Lord corrects him. Same thing with the Blessed Sacrament. What do you mean this bread is you? Are you made of wheat? If we take the understanding of creation, it doesn't make any sense. It's a mystery. But the Lord tells us, no, the priest who does these things, in union with the church, that's my body. That's me physically there. And unless you eat my flesh, you shall not have eternal life. If that's our Lord physically present, we can't make an idol of it, right? The difference with the pagan is when they have an idol there, they think the idol is God. Well, God already told us, no, when you have this blessed sacrament here, that is me. So it's not that we made a God out of a tree or out of a rock or out of a twig. It's that God himself has made himself present in what looks to be bread. Why? Oh, among other things, you know, we can't, I can't describe everything behind a mystery, but I know one of the things is what I said already. If that was really our Lord sitting there in glory, everybody in the church would be fried up and on the ground, and those that were holy enough to withstand the sight of it, well, they'd already be saints, which means they'd be dead. That's just how it works. The things of this earth, because of original sin, because of what it is, we, the fall of Adam, we cannot handle the the unmitigated view of our Lord without holiness, without purification, without grace. 
pretty brilliant of our Lord. That's why we have processions about him. It's why, getting back to the story, talking about how God works things out. I mentioned the Tanta Margo earlier. By the time Urban IV instituted the Feast of Corpus Christi, Thomas Aquinas had written the office for this. And they say in the manuscripts there's three different versions. And I bet there were. I bet there were some revisions and improvements that were done across the span of time it took to make the feast. But these are the great things that we appreciate that we get to enjoy in this feast. It was one of the most perfect times when the angelic doctor, this holy Norbertine nun, and a deacon who would become Pope, were all in the near area of each other and able to make the perfect storm to create the best parade we could possibly have. If you don't pay attention, there's, you know, I was a little bit upset because there was some Latin, the procession is out today, but when it came to some of my more favorite parts of it, like the Tantamergo, they sang it in English. No, actually, the Tantamergo was in Latin. It was the, uh, the sequence from today. What's the name of the sequence? Uh, oh, it's just not working. Brain's not working. See, this is why I need to be on the phone with DJAC or, 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 or one of the, or even Landon be able to beat me up. But the sequence from today they did in English, and that's probably why I can't remember the name of it because the words weren't as good as the Latin. Translation wasn't there. And even when I looked at the back of the church thing, it said, oh, all copyrights paid. You know, I'm an attorney, I do entertainment law, among other things, and IP licensing and copyright licensing. Who is the agent collecting royalties for St. Thomas Aquinas. I would like to know who, where that copyright royalty went. Copyrights expire after so much time anyway. But it, that's a little bit of humor for everybody there. As I told other people, I'm like, well, you know, if somebody would give me the agency license for St. Thomas Aquinas so I would know where to pay the royalties for Tonto Margo, I would pay them on it, but it's the public domain. There's a little thing, but I guess it's some royalty being paid for whoever made that bad English translation of it because I didn't I didn't think it was as good as the Latin. Sure, you need the English next to it, but don't sing it in English. It just doesn't sound as good. So how was your parade today? Did your church have one? Maybe the weather was bad. You need to have it inside. Did you roll out the big tanks? Just have the soldiers there. It's a good music. Our Lord present in the Blessed Sacrament is to be adored and worshipped because that is Jesus Christ. And no making it into a verb No, it is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is not a verb. Or wondering if maybe people who are growing in their spirituality, maybe people that are 
casting off the veils of and shrouds of deception the world puts on people today. But they keep coming back to the Blessed Sacrament. I wouldn't worry about it. That's the least of our worries. Matter of fact, that priest should be like, how can I get more of the lost flock? Of the people who were told that the Blessed Sacrament is nothing more than a verb. How can we get those people back? How can we get the people back who never got to see a Corpus Christi procession because instead they had liturgical dancers and felt banners and were told that this is just a celebration of community? Maybe we should get some of them back because I am positive those people now have idols and worship idols. And it's through the fault of worried about and diminishing the importance of our Lord, the big tank, our super weapon, our chief, our chairman, our Caesar, our leader, our king. Calling him anything but those things. You know, our our buddy in the community worship. Or pick any other number of things that progressives call our Lord today that have failed to impart the faith to the youth that they would know today that the Blessed Sacrament is our Lord. We should be worried about getting those people back. That priest should be asking the people like St. John Vianney, these people in my village, they idol that, they make an idol of that television. How can I get them to make an idol of the Blessed Sacrament? Right? Or these people make an idol of themselves. How can I get them to see that our Lord is not them? How can I get them to idol our Lord who would then teach them about themselves and the good things our Lord has done for them? Shouldn't that be our focus? Well, at least we can get the news in Latin now from the Vatican because, you know, we can't have her hymns in Latin. We can't have the Mass in Latin. Can't, you know, we can't even have the feast on the right day. But you can have your news in Latin. Look, this was just a, a, a quick podcast because I, I love uh, Corpus Christi. I love the history of Corpus Christi. There's so much more we could have said about Corpus Christi. If you thought of things that were missing out, do go on the podcast page on the website. Down at the bottom, you can leave comments. I like the comments. Other people like comments, too. We've gotten a number of comments on Facebook posts lately. People love the June devotions. Um, some have asked for a booklet of the of the Sacred Heart devotions. I'm looking into a way of doing that. I'll be talking with Cindy about how do we put together a little booklet because I think it's a really good idea and putting some prayers in. This person wants to give those booklets to shut-ins. If you like that idea and... uh have any ideas for things that ought to be in that booklet, let me know. If you like the daily devotions, I know there are, there's a good number. There's, we're, there's probably 30, 30 to 40 individuals daily following the June devotions to the, uh, to the, to the Sacred Heart. And I'm glad. That's what the Bellarmine Forum's here. Look, there's so many, just like the stuff I brought up earlier, so many things bringing confusion to the church today that bringing things back to the basics, 
going back to, yeah, the Blessed Sacrament is the real presence. Going back to devotions to help people grow closer to God. Why? Because the grace they're going to get from devotions and proper catechism will help them weather the storm out there. And just like it's happened in the past, some of those people that have made idols out of other things are coming back. And talking about these things help, help people understand the truth of our faith, the good things we have, the ashes of the past. I'm still mad about that comment. We'll get into that some other time. If you read that from Pope Francis, I, I, I just, I'd like to believe that, the, that it wasn't translated correctly or that that's not what he meant to say, but it is what he said. He said on the plane, oh, these people bitterly cling to the ashes of the past. Well, it doesn't even make sense. Tradition's not an ash. It's not burnt up. The past isn't burnt up. As a matter of fact, the things our Lord did 2,000 years ago are more relevant today and will become more and more relevant the closer we get to the end of time. Meanwhile, let the Corpus Christi processions and what happened today bring thoughts to what it's going to be like in heaven when before the Heavenly Father, our Lord gets to march with the spoils of his victory on earth before him. And you're going to be in that parade. It'll be just like today, except instead of seeing the Blessed Sacrament, it's really going to be our Lord. And instead of being so small, the vast multitudes and all the angels will be there and Our Lady will be there and your angel will be with you and you'll be able to see your angel. Don't you want that? I want to do that. And you know what? Let's make a promise to each other. When we're in that parade and you see me, wink at me, I'm going to wink back, okay? And we'll remember talking about it today. Because we're going we're gonna to have our perfect memory. We're going to have things like that. So we'll remember. And then I look forward to that day, hearing what you were doing when you were listening to this, and we could talk about, wow, it's better than we even thought. It, you know it's going to be that way. Our Lord never disappoints. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. You've been listening to the Bellman Forum podcast, episode 12 with John B. Manost, your host. Production of this episode was underwritten by an anonymous donor that asks you to say your rosary daily. If you would like to underwrite production of the podcast, contact the forum using the contact form on the website, bellamanforum.org, or call us. This podcast is a production of the Bellman Forum, formerly known as the Wanderer Forum Foundation. Founded in 1965 on the heels of Vatican II as a faithful enclave of the Catholic faith without all of the progressive modernist confusion. Our producer sits at the right hand of the Father and will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Our executive director made all things visible and invisible. Our technical director is an unnamed angel assigned to us by the producer per show. The Bellman Forum is a nonprofit public charity and all donations are tax deductible to the maximum extent permitted by law. This show is copyrighted by the Bellman Forum 2019 to the greater glory of God and the honor of his blessed mother. March on, Christian soldier. Alleluia.